Well, this last song, this was really what Daniel's prayer was in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel is praying and asking God for mercy. Daniel truly sees who God is. And as a result of that, he sees really how bad their sin is. So Daniel is, is in captivity. Daniel's an old man at this point. Daniel has survived the Babylonian captivity. The year now is 537 BC. There is uh, a new a new empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, under Darius. He's also called Cyrus, but under Darius, the, the king. And, and Daniel is reading the scroll of Jeremiah. And as he's reading this scroll of Jeremiah, God just breaks his heart and causes him to just go to God and ask God for mercy and ask God for guidance and ask for, for God's will to be done. Because Daniel recognizes that that the end of the captivity is coming. That the 70 years that God said that his people would be in captivity in Babylon, it was coming to a close. And as a result of this, Daniel is, is pouring his heart out to God. You see, Daniel is just this man of prayer and he's crying out to God. He recognizes who God is. He recognizes the holiness of God. He recognizes God is also merciful. And this causes Daniel to truly grieve over sin. Now, Daniel puts himself and takes responsibility for this. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Like, even though it wasn't his fault, Daniel's saying, we have sinned. Daniel's taken responsibility, but yet Daniel's in this predicament. Daniel's been a captive for 70 years because of the sin of others. And yet it doesn't seem like Daniel's grieving over his condition, but yet he's grieving over what this sin really does to God because how holy God is. And Daniel is just grieving over sin, grieving over the sin of others. Maybe you find yourself there. Where maybe somebody you love very dearly and you see that the path they're going down. Maybe it's a son. Maybe it's a daughter. Maybe it's just a loved one. And you see just the choices they've made. The things they're doing. And the sin they're following. And it just, it crushes you. You are so broken. Because you see what the sin is not only doing to them. But what it's doing to God. What it's doing to so many people. Well, Daniel's grieving over this sin. And he's praying to God. He's, he's fasting. He's going without food. He has sackcloth and ashes. Just he's, he's, he's fervently, passionately praying. He's humbling himself before God. And we pick up in verse 20. It's where we left off a couple weeks ago. It says, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly and touch me about the time of the evening oblation or the evening sacrifice. Now, this is significant because Daniel's praying at a time, it would have been around 3 p.m., where back in the temple, right, when they would do sacrifices, they would offer a sin sacrifice at this time. And people would confess their sin. Now this hasn't, Daniel hasn't been a part of this for almost 70 years. He's been a captive 
There were no evening sacrifices going on in Babylon. Babylon was filled with unbelievers. But yet we see, even though Daniel was taken from his home, taken from his people, Daniel still was a man of fervent prayer. That Daniel still loved his God and served his God, even in Babylon. And Daniel was praying fervently. And we know this about Daniel. We see so many just honest, fervent, heartfelt, genuine prayers that Daniel is praying, and this is no different. And as he's praying, we see this, God hears, God hears. And while he's praying, God sends Gabriel, God sends an angel to give him an answer. Now, maybe you've wondered, God, why does, why don't you send me an angel? Well, perhaps he has. Hebrews talks about there's times that we entertain angels and don't even know it. Now, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit of God in us who comforts us, who guides us, who even, who even gives us the words to pray when we don't know what to pray. Man, I've been there lately. Just at a point where, God, I don't even know what to pray, but Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you please discern what I even need to pray for? Maybe you're there. Maybe you've been there. Man, Daniel's fervently praying and God sends an answer. Heaven hears, sends the man, Gabriel. Well, Gabriel's an angel, not a man, but he's coming as the appearance of a man. This isn't the first time Daniel has had interaction with Gabriel. Gabriel, an angel or a messenger, has come. It says that Gabriel came and he touched him about the time of the evening sacrifice. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. I love this because Gabriel said, the moment you started praying, I was dispatched. God was sending an answer. Daniel, you are loved. I mean, imagine just that comfort, that confidence. Daniel, hearing from an angel saying, you're loved by God. You're loved by the host of, of heaven. But yet the thing is, for you and I, like, we know this is true about us. For, for those of us that know Christ, that are believers in Christ, that, that God is not just this mighty, powerful, holy God, which he is all those things. But God loves you. God wants to hear from you. God hears your prayer. God hears my prayer. God's going to send an answer to Daniel. And this answer is way beyond what Daniel's even asking. Because really, Daniel's prayer is, God, when are we going to, be, when are we going to return to the land? And when, is it, when are we going to worship you again? And, 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 and when are we going to be out of this captivity? When are all of these things going to happen? And God's answer to Daniel is, we're going to see it goes way beyond what Daniel's even asking. The angel said, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, to finalize the, the, the prophecy, to complete it, and to anoint the most holy. 
That's quite the to-do list. Basically, Gabriel's saying, hey, Daniel, God has a determined time. And in this time, God is going to bring an end to unrighteousness, an end of iniquity, and he's bringing in everlasting righteousness. God's got quite the to-do list. And here's the thing. There's a time frame in which this is going to happen. So Daniel's 70 weeks. Now, most theologians, not everyone, but most would agree that these 70 weeks, they're not literal weeks. But these 70 weeks, it's a, in Hebrew, would be like a unit of seven. Most theologians agree that each one of these weeks represents a unit of seven years. So you've got 490 years. There's going to be these things accomplished. There's going to be transgressions coming to an end. There's going to be reconciliation or a covering of sin and iniquity. And God's bringing in an everlasting righteousness. The vision, the, the prophecy, those things are going to be completed and finalized. And the, the most holy is going to be anointed. Now some think that's talking about Christ and bringing in his everlasting righteousness. Some think it's talking about the, the holy temple, Jerusalem. Basically, right, our sin's coming to an end and eternal righteousness is coming on the scene. And here's the thing. It's going to happen in these 70 weeks or these, these 490 years. So remember a couple weeks ago, I said, and, and this is no joke. This, these verses, verses, uh, verses 24 to 27 are some of the most difficult verses to wrap our head around. And the reason being is because there's a lot of different opinions on the exact interpretation. Now, at the end, we're going to conclude and we're going to talk about what all Christians have unity on in agreement, what these mean in the sense of the finality of them. But there's some different viewpoints on these. One pastor that I really respect and is, is very, um, just a very credible, uh, very gifted theologian and teacher, Pastor Alistair Begg, he said that this, in his opinion, is one of the most complex passages of Scripture. Because there's a lot of disagreement on just have these things completely happened? Some say yes. With Christ's death on the cross, and then shortly after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, all of these things have been completely fulfilled. That view is called the preterist view. And by the way, that could be right. Then there's a futurist view that says, no, so much of these things are yet to happen. There's a gap. A lot of these things happened in the 69 years, the 483 years, but there's now a gap. The seven, the last seven year period, that's yet to come, right? That's going to be the rapture of the church. And when the Antichrist comes on the scene, and that's the futuristic view. And then there's the cheating view that says, well, these things did happen, but not in its entire, entirety and, and complete uh, fulfillment of every single thing. It's kind of like the principle of with prophecy that there's kind of a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment or a partial fulfillment of something that happened and then the finality of that or even similar to remember we talked in Daniel 8 the that um evil 
character Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a real person in history, who did horrible things to the Jews, evil person, and he was a real person. He really did all of those things that Daniel predicted he was going to do. He did those things, but many think also it's also a foreshadow or picture of the Antichrist that is still going to come on the scene at the very end. And I think that here with some of these things in Daniel's 70th week could, it could possibly have been fulfilled in that sense, but it's, it's also foreshadowing what's yet to come. Okay, so if those waters aren't muddied enough, it's going to get even muddier, all right? So hold on. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy holy people to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment, so when, when do these 490 years start, right? When do these 70 weeks that again, that are representative of units of years, when is this going to start? Well, Daniel's specific. He says there's a countdown, right? It's going to start when? From the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. Unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. So he's saying, and the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. So the 62 and 7, right? It's just like, kind of an odd way of how they word it, but it's kind of like, you know, four score and seven years ago. It's, this is a, a, way, a way to express this. Basically, Daniel says this. In 69 weeks, right, or 483 years, here's some things that are going to happen. And he said, there's a time clock that's going to start ticking. When the decree goes forward to rebuild the city, to rebuild the walls. Well, Here's, here's where there gets some confusion because there's multiple decrees. Like you have in the book of Ezra, there's multiple decrees about rebuilding the, the temple and several different ones go out. So which one is it? And it seems though, like the decree is pretty specific. It's not to just rebuild the temple, but to rebuild the city, to rebuild the walls. Well, that is a specific decree we find in Nehemiah chapter 2, Artaxerxes, the king, is going to give this decree. It's going to allow Nehemiah to go back to rebuild the wall, to rebuild the city. Even in troublesome times. You remember that there was a lot of trouble surrounding those times and a lot of opposition that Nehemiah had. So it seems like it was, it seems like it was the decree of Artaxerxes that was to rebuild the city. So we know when this is. This was the month of Nisan. So this was March 14th, 445 BC, right? This starts the time frame. This starts the, the time clock that's ticking. Now, here's what's significant about this. Because in this time frame, one of the things that the decree to rebuild is going to happen. And then Messiah right? The Holy One. He's going to be cut off, but not for himself. So in these 69 weeks or 483 years, during this time frame, Messiah, Jesus, 
is going to die. He's going to be cut off, but not for himself. And that, that term, the phrase cut off, it speaks of like a, a public execution or, or a legal execution, I, I should say. That's how Jesus died. And it's interesting because he wasn't cut off for himself. He didn't die for himself. Right? This is consistent with Isaiah's prophecy. Because Isaiah talks about there's two suffering servants. The suffering servant is Israel. And they're suffering for their own sins. But Isaiah talks about another suffering servant. Jesus, the Messiah. He's not suffering for his own sin. He's suffering for the sins of others. And Daniel says the Messiah is going to be cut off. He's going to die, not for himself. He's going to be cut off for his people, not for himself. So this is going to happen in this 483 years, because then there's going to be a 70th week. So after the Messiah is cut off, here's what's going to happen. The prince that shall come, or the, sorry, the people of the prince that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, the temple, and end thereof shall there be with a flood, a flood of violence, and unto the end of the war and desolations are determined. So here, here's what Daniel's saying. Here's what Gabriel's telling Daniel. There's the 70 weeks, right, that we think are representative years, 483 years, 69 weeks. And after these 69 weeks, the, 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 the countdown starts... At that decree to rebuild the city, to rebuild the wall. There's going to then be a countdown. And after those 483 years, here's what's going to happen. Messiah is going to die. And after he dies, the city and the sanctuary are going to be destroyed. Well, what do we know from history? Well, in 70 AD, Titus, the Roman conqueror, he's coming in and they are going to absolutely decimate. Jerusalem. This is going to be a bloodbath that's hard. It's hard for us to truly comprehend. Just the gore and the violence. I mean, as much violence that we see and we know is real and is out there, this is just a whole nother level. Titus is coming in and he is going to historians and one particular historian, Josephus, talks about how that he's going to crucify up to about 500 people a day. There are literally going to be bodies stacked up. Robbers are going to come into the city and are going to steal the clothes and steal valuables off of all of the dead bodies. This is going to be violence that's hard for us to imagine. And it's going to happen after the Messiah is cut off, after Jesus dies. The city is going to be absolutely decimated. Titus, the Roman conqueror, is coming in, and he's going to squash the rebellion of the Jews against the Romans. And the, the, the city and the, the, the temple are going to be destroyed. Well, this is what Daniel prophesies, and here's what's significant about this. I believe this gives us incredible insight and incredible evidence for Jesus being the Messiah. Because it gives, a, it gives a time frame of when Jesus is going to die. That Jesus has to come and he has to die before the destruction of the second temple. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He died on the cross and then 
within 35, 36, 37 years, the Romans come in and they decimate the city and destroy the temple. So for those that think, our Jewish friends that think, well, the Messiah hasn't come. If the Messiah hasn't come, there is not one that is coming to die and be the sacrifice for sins. Because the second temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So I think this is one of those that gives us great evidence for Jesus being the Messiah. And it's one of those kind of specific prophecies that has a time frame with it. It's not just super general where, yeah, it could happen. You know, eventually it'll happen. No, it gives us a specific time. And there's a gentleman, a gentleman that's done a tremendous um, amount of work on this. And you can look, look this up if this fascinates you about the timing with the decrees and, and all of that. It's Sir Robert Anderson um, and uh, Pastor Mike Winger, who I've made reference to before. He did a whole video uh, talking a lot of Sir Anderson or Sir Anderson's work on this. And if that's something where it's like, hey, I'm good, like not really, you don't want to take an hour and a half and watch it, great. But if you're intrigued by that, you want to see it, they'll go into great detail of some of Sir Robert Anderson's work where he would count years, like, see, we count them with there's 365 days. Well, the Jews had 360 days in their calendar. And there's things you have to factor in with like leap year and other factors. So Sir Robert Anderson did just dove into this and took years and years of research and study. And he came to the conclusion that from the timing when that decree went forward from Artaxerxes to the exact day was 483 years when Jesus rode in the triumphant entry into Jerusalem when he was riding in on the donkey, coming, knowing he was coming into the city and they were going to take him and crucify him. I think that is rather significant. Now, I get it. If, if, if you're going to unpack this to an unbeliever trying to give like a defense for scripture and the accuracy and even fulfilled prophecy, I don't know that I personally would go to, to Daniel 9. Like, I think there's others that are a lot more easy to, to track and follow and explain. I think the unbelievers are going to say, man, there's a lot of special pleading going on. Man, you guys are working a lot of fuzzy math here to try to make this work. And we're not. I think there's real good, credible answers for this. You know, and there, again, there's people like Robert Henderson. There's Pastor Mike Winger. They feel confident that they would present that and that they could make a very strong case for that. And so, it, again, it could be. I think this is more of one of those things. It's an in-house thing as believers we look at. Just because I think there's prophecies that are a lot more clear and powerful that you can use as a defense of the faith, sharing with unbelievers how that, man, look at what was predicted hundreds of years prior, and here's how it came to pass. All that being said, right, we got seven years or one unit of seven that's missing, though. Because after the 69 years, right, Messiah is going to be cut off. Then the destruction of the temple and the city is going to take place. And here's where, if, you, if, if it hasn't seemed muddied already, it gets even muddier, right? This 70th week is going to pick back up. Now, again, there's a, a, a preterist view that would say, hey, all of these things have been fulfilled. All of them. There's no future futuristic view here. It's all been accomplished by Christ on the cross. And they could be right. But again, it seems like, it seems like there is yet still a future for some of these. 
it seems like there is yet, it hasn't been completely fulfilled in its entirety. And for several reasons. I mean, you've got, even as we're going to look at it, in Daniel 11, like this man of sin, and then in Revelation, it seems like there is yet a future Antichrist that's going to come out of the Roman Empire that's going to come on the scene for that final 70th week or those seven years. Now, again, the preterist view, they, those guys, they do a really, really good job of like pointing out people and, and events in history where a lot of these things have been fulfilled in Daniel and Revelation. And, you know, people like Gary DeMar, people like Doug Wilson, I mean, they make a really strong case for it. I personally don't hold to that view. I believe there's still yet that some of these things are still yet futuristic, but I hold that in the open hand and I hold it loosely because I could be wrong about that. But it seems like there's still yet a future for some of these things. And while some would say, well, no, this clearly the prince of the people that shall come, this is talking about Titus, the Roman conqueror. But it seems like this is futuristic. Yes, it happened as far as the Romans did come and they decimated Jerusalem in 70 AD. The people of the prince that shall come, the Romans came. But it seems like there's still yet a future for some of this. And so the view that I would hold is that that 70th week of Daniel is still yet to come. This is the when the rapture of the church takes place. And again, some say, oh man, I was tracking with you till you use the word rapture there, <laughs> right? But like, it seems like that the rapture takes place. And again, for those that say, no, there's not a rapture. The Antichrist is coming on the scene. Once again, once again, there's a mystery with some of these things. And what we can do is we can just ignore it. Ah, don't know what it is. Don't know, don't care. You know, it's all gonna pan out in the end, right? Um, but I don't know that that's a wise approach to take. I think we should dive into it. I think we should study it. I think that we should debate it in a house with fellow believers in a, a brotherly way. Um, so I don't think the answer is to ignore it. But I also don't think the answer is to become so dogmatic that you're willing to like cast people out of the kingdom if they disagree with you on some of these end times things. Look, guys, there's a mystery to these things. There's a reason why theologians that are way, way smarter than me say, you know what? It's kind of mysterious. Like it seems like, yeah, these things do line up. Again, as we look at what we've already studied in Daniel, what we're gonna study in chapter 11, when we, when we look at Revelation, like, it seems like, okay, that is a plausible view, but man, there's a little bit of a mystery to it. So, what's this prince that shall come? Well, he's going to confirm the covenant with many for one week. But what's he going to do? In the midst of that week, so the middle of that seven years, three and a half years, he's going to break that covenant. Because it seems like, you know, when you harmonize this and look at this with Revelation, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and he's going he's to unite and he's going to allow even temple worship to, 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 
to take place in Jerusalem and he's going he's gonna to sign a treaty with them and he's going to be, comes, come with peace. And then he's going to break that covenant halfway through. And that's when things get really crazy. That's when things get really dicey. Well, it seems like here, this is what Daniel is talking about. That some of this is futuristic still with the Antichrist coming on the scene. Who's going to unite people. He's going to come with world peace. He's going to come and it's going to seem like, man, this guy is the savior. This guy is the one that's going to unite people. He's going to... He's going to be the one that, that is, is, is going to promote world peace. And he's going to put all these pieces together. And then he's going to show his true colors. It seems like this is something that is yet to come. Or it could be this. Perhaps this prince that shall come, the prince of the people that shall come, truly is talking about Titus the conqueror. But again, it's like a foreshadow of what still is yet to come as well. And you say, well, that's, that's a cheating view. It may be, it is, right? But honestly, like you look at with prophecy, like I don't think it's unreasonable to take that view of prophecy. There is things that we see, okay, here's a partial fulfillment of it, but yet here is the greater or the final fulfillment of it. And so all that to say, listen, Daniel's asking God, when, is, when are your people going to serve you again? And when are your people going to worship you again? And when is this captivity coming to an end? And, and God's answer to him is way beyond what Daniel's time frame is thinking. His answer is not just an immediate answer, though that's part of it. He's saying that this time is determined. In other words, this is set in stone. That God has a plan that is determined. And make no mistake about it. That God is in control. He was in control of things in the past. The events in the past. And he is in control of what's coming in the future. That God is over it. That God is above it. It is determined. And ultimately God's saying this. That sin... And transgression, it's coming to an end. There's eternal righteousness that is coming. So while there's some maybe unclarity of some of the views of the 70th week, has it happened? Is it yet to happen? Has some of it happened, but not its entirety? What we as all believers can conclude on is this. First of all, this is an amazing, fulfilled pro prophecy about Jesus being the Messiah. Because it says he's going to come before the destruction of the temple in the city. And he did. He came right on time. But also it gives us great hope for the future. Because what Christ has accomplished on the cross... That Christ's death on the cross has made an end of iniquity. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And yet the final fulfillment of all of that is yet to come. That there is coming a day. Yes, Christ was victorious and he is victorious. But man, we still deal with so much of the fallout of sin, don't we? We live in a fallen world. Sin has infected and affected everything. Sin has destroyed so much. 
We still deal with sickness and pain. We still deal with so much uncertainty. Doctors that try their best but just can't give us answers. We deal with so much anxiety of even what the future holds for us for tomorrow and for next year. We deal with so much pain because of the betrayal and hurt. We deal with so much pain because of our own sin and our own failures. But we know this, that there's coming a day when all of that will come to an end. That there is eternal righteousness that is coming. We long for that day. And, and, and Gabriel's telling Daniel, Daniel, you're praying now about, about going back to Jerusalem and about worshiping your God again. And, and, and yet God sees not just the immediate, but God has a plan for the ultimate in your life and mine. And we know there is coming a day God's eternal kingdom is coming. It's one of those things, it's already here, but not yet. Right? What Christ accomplished on the cross, he is victorious. But we still battle with sin around us. We still battle with the sin nature in us. Yes, we've been redeemed and we know Christ and the Holy Spirit of God is changing us. But man, we still battle and struggle with sin. We still battle with the effects of sin. But there's coming a day when that will be gone. There's coming a day when that will be over. And listen, I know sometimes life seems so long and it seems so hard. It seems like there's heartbreak after heartbreak. It seems like there's pain after pain. It seems like we go through so much in this life. And it is, it's a lot. Because sin is very real and Satan is very real. But yet we can have hope and courage. We know that this isn't the end. We know there's a glorious and a better day. The kingdom of God is coming down to this earth. That Christ is coming again. And sin will be gone. Pain and heartache will be gone. That we will be with our Savior we will be with our loved ones who know Christ. Look, I know some of you right now have such tremendous heartbreak. You've lost someone recently, or maybe it's been a while, but man, that heartbreak just comes back up. I was talking to somebody at 9.30, just praying with them and crying with them because around this time, they, they lost their husband several years ago. And just that pain of that, that memory. But yet their husband is with the Lord. I was able to encourage them with not empty words, but words of hope that there is a better day coming, that God's eternal kingdom, because of what Christ accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection, that we as believers know that whatever we go through in this life is temporal. The hardest things we go through in this life, it's just but a moment so we can have courage, we can endure because we know that there's a better day coming, but not only that, we know that God walks with us through this life, that the Holy Spirit of God comforts us, that he guides us, that God has a determined plan through everything. And this is the hope. This is the glorious hope that we have. Don't you long for that day? See, sin destroys so much. 
Sin brings so much pain and grief. Our own sin, the sin of others that has affected you and hurt you, that has maybe given you a life that you weren't planning on because of the sin of others. There's so much pain even in this room because of how sin has infected and affected everything. But rest assured that sin has been defeated. And one day soon it will be eradicated. And this is what we pray for. This is what we long for. This is the day that is coming. Peace and joy and eternal comfort in the presence of our Savior. In the presence of our fellow believers and believers of all ages. Look around you. The people that we serve God with right now. The, the relationships that we have right now with one another. These aren't just for a few short years on this earth. That we will serve God with one another for all of eternity. That we will be with one another for all of eternity. Praising God, glorifying God. To be in his presence. To be in the presence of fellow believers. Sharon, I think about the reunion that awaits with Ralph. The joy that you'll have with him for all of eternity. See, we can endure a lot knowing that this is just a temporary journey. We can rest in the promise of God. It can give us boldness and courage to live for God each day. Knowing that what we do in this life matters. Linda, knowing that you'll be reunited with John soon. Knowing that the loved ones that we miss and long for, that we'll be with them. But more, more than all of that is we'll be in the presence of our Savior. And it gives us courage to endure. It gives us courage to press on. It doesn't cause us to have an escapist mentality of just huddled and afraid, doing nothing until Christ returns. No, it gives us confidence. It gives us courage to press on. And to endure. It's not that the pain isn't real. The pain is very real. The heartache is very real. The anxiety is very real. The grief is very real. But it's all temporary. Because we know. We know what this means here in Daniel. The complete end of sin. The complete kingdom of God. In his righteousness forever. Means a better day is coming for everyone who knows Christ. It means we can be confident in him. It means we can rest in him today. And we long for that day. Again, is it fun to argue about who is this prince that shall come? Did he come? Was it Titus? Is it a future antichrist? Were these things fulfilled? Were they not? Were some of them fulfilled? Is there a partial and a, and, and a more fulfillment that's yet to come? It's, it's good for us. It sharpens us. It causes us to study the word of God more. Those are good things. And I'm not saying that they're insignificant or that we shouldn't have a, a conclusion or at least have a position that we, we lean towards. But ultimately, all believers recognize this. God's eternal kingdom. Yes, it is here already. But not yet in its entirety. That sin will be forever eradicated. Eternal joy. Peace. Comfort. And ultimately, it's not just about our comfort. It's not just about us not having hard days. Though all of that is true. 
We're going to live in the light of the glory of God for all of eternity with one another, with our loved ones that are already there so we can endure. We can be bold. We can recognize that every day God has given to us counts for him. We don't know when that day comes to an end. I've been talking to people this week who have so many health issues that honestly it's like, man, God could take you any day. Well, you know what? God could take any of us any day. You know, I recognized that very clearly last night. Like a maniac, I'm driving in the ice storm. And I call a good friend to come pick me up, put his life on the line. Driving in this ice storm, man, I can't keep my windshield clear. All of a sudden, it's like, yeah, this isn't good. Like, it, it just shows us how fragile that this life could be. One car accident. I mean, drop of, of a heart attack at any moment. This life is frail. This life is fragile. But you know what? God woke you up today and he woke me up today because he has a purpose for you and a purpose for me today. And when that purpose is completed, he's going to call us home. And when his ultimate purpose is done, as far as on this earth right now, he's going to return and his kingdom will reign and rule forever. And that's the kingdom we're a part of. And we can have confidence in that. Again, Gabriel's, Gabriel's answer to Daniel was way beyond what Daniel was asking. See, because Daniel was asking for the immediate, right? Well, what, what, what's the near future? God, when are these things going to happen? And God said, I actually have an ultimate plan. Nothing wrong with asking God. God, show me the immediate. Show me tomorrow. Show me today. Guide me. But God has an ultimate plan. For all of us that know God, that plan is for good. That plan is for his glory. That plan is eternal joy in his presence for all of eternity.